0: It going?
1: You know, just fucking unicorning.
0: Just unicorning? You're unicorning? I'm unicorning. I'm always unicorning. What does that mean?
1: I don't know. Just being very fabulous. Oh. And gay. Like unicorns are.
0: I feel fabulous today. I feel fabulous today.
1: Oh, that's good. The way you say you feel fabulous today somehow communicates that you don't? Or maybe that you're trying to convince yourself?
0: No, I'm not trying to convince anyone. I just am a very subtle I'm a very subtle person, you know. Michael. Yes. Hi, how are you? How am I? I'm I'm good. I'm feeling fabulous, like I mentioned before. hmm I feel great. I feel And what have you
1: done to earn this feeling of
0: fabulosity? I woke up today i got you're saying you woke up like this i mean i'm sitting in my bed so right i'm still in the bed but i'm doing pretty good
1: so we're all in bed with you right now
0: yeah kind of in a sense
1: us and all our listeners are in bed together finally
0: welcome to my queen size bed
1: (laughs) welcome to hi how are you after dark
0: i hope you like my jersey sheets (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes that
0: is a silk pillowcase it's for my hair routine stops the fraying for all you curly girls out there i think maybe we can do a little uh bonus ep of talking about being in my bed if that's interesting
1: <laughs> you should do a bonus ep just about your hair care routine
0: oh that's a good idea i like that hava how are you
1: Hashem. I'm well. I've been having good morning so far. It's sort of like rainy here. I found out recently, I hope it's kosher for me to say this, but I found it recently that I made it into the Sfara teaching fellowship for cohort wow. four, which starts this fall. So that's a big thing I've been waiting for news on. So I was really overjoyed about that. I ordered some celebratory fried chicken last night, fried chicken and waffles, in fact, which was really delicious. So that's great. So now Now the final piece of news I'm waiting on this week is whether I will get the apartment that I want. God willing that will work out. But yeah, I'm feeling good about that. And I'm feeling good about how our Talmud and art series have been going so far. I feel like it's been some of our best episodes. TBH. I'm going to keep my animal crossing Thanks to myself, because recently I was hanging out with someone and they said it's the thing I talk about most on the podcast, so I'm going to suck the Animal Crossing thoughts back in.
0: I didn't want to say anything. Well,
1: still don't say anything, because okay. I cannot take that kind of criticism.
0: Oh, that's fine. No, no, no. I, I,
1: or any kind of criticism.
0: <laughs> I never say anything unless you let me.
1: Yeah, that's right, listeners. Michael is an automaton.
0: Let's talk about our guest, who's not an automaton.
1: Ah. Uh, Yes. I mean, that we know of. We'll find out through the course of this podcast. Our guest today for the finale of our Talmud and Art series is Never Angeline North. Never Anjali North is an author, artist, and bisexually Jewish secret fashion icon living in Olympia, Washington. She has worked in and between the forms of fiction, poetry, collage, comics, tattoos, textiles, photography, scribbles, music, nude selfies, zines, videos, and rituals. Never is the author of a number of creative works that are available in book forms such as Sea Witch, published in 2020 by Inside the Castle Press, Careful Mountain, 2016 by Civil Coping Mechanisms Press, Sarah, or The Existence of Fire, 2014, Horseless Press, and Wolf Doctors, 2014 by Artifice Books. She is co-founder and lead designer for print-on-demand clothing line Undying Apparel, and contributor to many literary magazines and anthologies, and founder of many defunct literary magazines, reading series, micro-presses, and other similar endeavors. Many of her various projects are collected on her website, undying.club. The rest are lost to time, and that's okay. Never... Angeline North. Hi, how are you?
2: I am doing great. I'm very excited to be as past guests have said very excited to be asked that question. (laughs) I am a very frequent listener. So I'm doing great. I didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, The last few days was rocking a awesome sleep debt. I was trying to think the right word for it. So I was worried about that. And then last night, I went to bed at like 8pm. And just had the greatest nine-hour sleep of my life. And so I am feeling really good, got up, had a nice cup of tea on the porch, some breakfast cereal, and now I'm ready to podcast.
1: Wow, so glad to be getting the freshest possible never. (laughs) I'm always super fresh. (laughs) So I mostly met you through... Twitter, and through talking about the show, I know you both from Talmud world. And also since I met you on Twitter, I've looked a lot in particular into your book Sea Witch, which I feel like is the one that came up the most on Twitter. So that's why it's the one that I looked into. I'm wondering if we could start by you telling our listeners a little bit about your work and maybe about Sea Witch in particular.
2: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I have... Been writing for, gosh, I think I published my first piece in maybe 2010. So about 11 years. I wrote before that, but that was when I sort of in earnest tried really kind of focusing on that as my primary art form. I was doing music for a long time before that and um, played in a band and solo and stuff like that. I also do a million other creative forms, because I just can't, like, writing can't contain my creative enthusiasm. Sea Witch is the most recent book and was kind of like my whole world for the past gosh when did I start doing that maybe 2015 i started doing it and then it came out in 2020 it has a big trans fan base which is probably what <laughs> you've seen the most about that one also because it's the most recent but it was yes yeah, it's, it's you know it's like kind of my trans book you know you got to have a trans <laughs> book doesn't everybody have a trans book
1: yeah i mean this is my trans podcast
2: yeah so yeah, it's a book about, uh, it's kind of like a mythology manifesto. It's about a witch named Sea Witch that is also a god and is also some nebulous kind of thing that you can live in. The main character, uh, the narrator, is lives inside Sea Witch's body with a bunch of other monsters. And it's a bunch of short little pieces take the form of plays and comics and all kinds of stuff. And they come together. Yeah, it's pretty out there. I tried to explain it to somebody at shul. And they were like, oh it's like their Talmud um, (laughs) or, or no it's like it's like their Torah that's what they said and I was like yeah it's kind of like their Torah and it's like it's it is kind of does kind of have a Talmudic layer to it though because there's scribbles and notes on top of all the pages all the way through as you read it so there's this sort of meta layer to it and it's full of like photos and like nude selfies and like scribbles and uh, collages and all kinds of stuff it was sort of me dumping all my creative energy in all of its forms into one project as i was writing it
0: it definitely feels very mythological when i was looking at it it reminded me a lot of like i remember when i lived in san francisco and and hung out with some weirdos there they had these books from the 70s that are like oh you got to flip through this book it's like amazing it's like someone's manifesto that made the rounds among certain circuits and yeah, just has kind of almost like a cult-like fandom. And when I was <laughs> flipping through the book, I was like, whoa, this is going to be cult-like fandom in like 30 years. You know, I-, I could almost see the kind of connection between the mythology that was being created in the 60s by wacky artists and like the mythology that you were creating in your book.
2: yeah. Absolutely. I I love that. It's funny that you say that. There was a a friend who read it and and mentioned the book, um, The Faggots and Their Friends Between Revolutions, which is one of those. Classic.
0: I was thinking that. I was thinking yeah, that too.
2: Yeah, and I read it, and it actually really ended, ended up influencing Sea Witch. They read the like first part of Sea Witch, and they were like, oh, it reminds me of this. And then I read it, and then it started... Yeah. There were a number of things like that where people read it and were like, oh, it reminds me of this. Read early versions of it, and then I, I read the thing they said, and then it ended up influencing like later parts of it. Because I put out the first section of Sea Witch as like, a volume one, and then I did a volume two, and then a volume three, and then The whole fat collected thing is the one that has come out in 2020.
1: Yeah, when I was first looking through it, I also immediately felt like it was sort of Talmudic. The most immediate thing that stood out to me is that text is often arranged in a way that's very different than just the sort of left to right, top to bottom Mm. way that we're used to in books in English, the arrangement of text on the page is sort of part of the art itself, which is something that I think is pretty similar for me in Talmud. So I have Sea Witch over here on one side. So now I want to ask you about Talmud, because I also sort of know you as a Talmud person. and, And I want to ask how you became interested in Talmud.
2: Yeah, so an interesting thing that you might not know is while I was in the midst of my sort of writing CWH kind of right towards the end was when I made the decision to convert to Judaism. So I began my conversion sort of at the end of my kind of like what I think of my sea witch era the thing is is that books take forever to come out and you will notice that in my next two books (laughs) they get way more Jewish so yeah in the, the past about three years ago I decided to convert to Judaism and have dived deep into Torah and Talmud and Talmud in particular I think was one of the I think I I I got deep into Torah first and um, and then I think really started to explore Talmud because of, well, because of Chai, hey, how are you? And because before that, I heard some interviews with B'nai Lapi on uh, Judaism Unbound and had some friends who attended queer talmud camp so was kind of getting it from like a number of different directions and that's what she said (laughs) wow
0: i have a question
2: yeah yeah yeah.
0: i want to talk about like the transition from the image of the author i get from sea witch Mm. to someone converting to judaism like in I can see which, okay, there's alienation, there's like commentary on society and anarchistic kind of Mm -hmm. fleeting ideas, maybe even some sort of tension, kind of like I'm an individual and yet also like I know like individuality is the thing that might be destroying uh, (laughs) the world around me, okay, like through neoliberal individuality. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm just uh, projecting that into the text or if you've... Thought no, that I, I, thought before.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: How do you go from that person to a person who's suddenly really into Judaism? Like was it sudden? Was it
2: It was it was something that I think was sort of a long time coming in some ways, and then in others was kind of sudden. The long time coming part started, I think, when I was in college in undergrad at Indiana University. I was an ethnomusicology major. I didn't actually end up finishing my ethnic musicology degree. I got an English degree and then ethnomusicology minor. But I took a class on music and Judaism there just out of interest because I had the professor before, Dr. Judah Cohen, who's amazing, and decided to take that class knowing very little about Judaism at all and really fell in love with the music of Judaism and learned a lot. Mostly learned how much I didn't know and how much more there was to learn. I think from there, I had that in the back of my mind. I, at the time, thought about studying more about Judaism or converting or something like that, but it, but it was something that was... I. I didn't have many Jewish friends. And I was living in Indiana. I mean, you know, not a a huge Jewish population in Indiana, especially southern Indiana.
0: So what was appealing about it?
2: Um, What was appealing about it? I think I saw a richness of culture that I think felt lacking in the culture that I was raised with, sort of southern Midwestern culture, a culture that I think I felt was more accepting of me because I always felt on the outside of the culture that I grew up with. I always felt sort of partially because of my queerness and what eventually I would realize was transness. And so I think that feeling like I could hang, you know, um, Mm. (laughs) and that people would like look at me and be like, oh, okay, you like don't not make sense here. It felt good. And I think there was a openness of thought. Like, I mean, I think people can be closed-minded in all kinds of realms, and they're definitely closed-minded people in Judaism. But compared to the religion that I was raised with, it felt extremely open. And then more recently, I think there was a coming to meet and interact with a lot of really amazing queer and trans Jews who seem to be doing some really radical stuff around the same time as I met my wife, Dogtail, who is Jewish. And Dogtail was kind of wanting to reconnect with Judaism at the same time as I think both of us were sort of seeing from a distance some really cool stuff happening in like, rad trans-Jewish world, both of us wanting to get more involved, Dogtail kind of being too depressed to do so, and (laughs) encouraging me to pursue that. Dog was like, well, I want to know about that, but don't feel like I have the energy to. And I know you have the energy to, because the second that you point towards anything, you go super deep in it. And so I know that you'll dig into it and then bring things back to me. And, and that's totally what's happened is like, I got super, super into it. And then and, and, and sort of dragged Dogtail along consensually. <laughs>
1: wow. Something that really made me want to have you on the show was this interaction that we had on Twitter quite a while ago, I was sort of tweeting about how part of my agenda, like with this show and with my life as a Jewish teacher is to sort of allow queer filth To have a place in in Judaism and in sort of queer Talmud writ large, we were sort of really connecting about that. I don't know what the exact question that comes out of that statement is, but I feel like Sea Witch is really like rife with queer filth. (laughs) And
0: I love that
1: about it. And, you know, I think the reason it's important to me is because I think as there's this sort of queer upsurge in judaism that we're a part of right now there's a lot of risk of sort of a sanitized version of queerness becoming Mm -hmm. what is the queer part of queer judaism and i really want to sort of push against that um and so i yeah i really feel like a kinship like we're in that struggle together to like keep representing the queer filth, which to me feels like very in particular connected to trans femininity amongst all possible queernesses. And yeah, it's just interesting, I guess there's something almost Talmudic about that relationship to me, like the connection between you and I, and like our agendas within queerness, feels mm. like a sort of like something I could see in the Talmud as sort of like, oh well, like when these two characters appear together, they're always like talking about filth.
2: Oh my god, yeah, like, oh, I, my brain's going so many different directions, but yes, um, I, <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like a lot of the queer art and writing that I was introduced to early on was incredibly filthy. When I kind of came out in my full truth as a queer person and then a trans person, I mean, that was that was what was appealing to me and exciting to me was this like, this like tradition of like filthy queer art is just amazing. And figuring out a way to do that that felt honest and true to me was a big part of what I was doing in Sea Witch was kind of like, oh, I'm I'm finding my own inner queer filthy voice. Two of the big people that influenced me in uh, understanding that are my friends, um, Jordan Mason and M. Kitchell, who are both writers and musicians, Kitchell being more the writer and Jordan more the musician, though they've both made awesome stuff in both realms and so like knowing them and seeing them make amazing dirty queer things made me really excited to kind of embrace that on my own those are the things that i think get me excited (laughs) whenever i come across them in in ancient jewish texts is is queer (laughs) filth like you know the 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 sugya where they talk about the rabbi's dick sizes Mm -hmm. is just amazing to me (laughs) right Right just just that that sort of queer filth finding that in in a context like like in the Talmud is is just an incredible thing.
0: I've also am drawn to filth and I always have been and and I've wondered a lot about why, uh... People on the outside of society, queer and maybe the more general sense of the term, queer. Why so many of us gravitate towards filth and why I feel like so many, I guess like on the surface, normal appearing people, they don't want to talk about filth. It's like a magnet, like finding the hidden filth that actually isn't that hidden.
1: <laughs> I feel like in a certain way, and maybe this is just me being grumpy unjustly but i feel like i am sort of on the tail end of a generation of trans girls that like when we came out and started transitioning like we were still objects of filth because Mm. of that Mm -hmm. uh and as sort of trans acceptance has sort of proliferated throughout society like that's become less the case so for me i feel like the urge was definitely like Oh, I am now regarded as filth. Like I am just gonna like make that work for me.
2: When did you come out? I came out in about 2014 and I feel like I immediately fell in with a, a group of trans girls who had transitioned around a decade before me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so and so I was very much into the the same um, thing. like just a lot of people around who were I saw I looked up to as trans, Leaders in whatever small way that existed at the time. People like I don't know if you know Sybil Lamb. Oh, yeah. But just like like seeing Sybil and knowing Sybil, we were neighbors when I lived in Toronto, and nice. and seeing Sybil and like hanging out with Sybil uh, is she's just a, a such an icon of queer filth for me. But Sarah Shulman in in gentrification of the mind talks about how. For her, when she was living in the village in New York and um, saw the gentrification of neighborhoods happening around her, and at the same time, the queers and artists that were living in those neighborhoods become... um, It was like the art that became popular and the stuff that actually took off out of those communities was the most gentrified versions of that art Mm -hmm. and how the people who continued doing the ungentrifiable version of queer art were the people who were sort of carrying on the tradition of what queer art looked like before that sort of like cleaning up for mainstream happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to carry on that tradition as we've got, you know, your friendly queer eye type sort of mainstream Having a filthy underground, you know. I mean, (laughs) I feel like every artist that I'm going to mention is going to be hella problematic, but um, (laughs) like Bruce LeBruce, like, is amongst all his peers who went on to make all these, like, big fancy. Academy Award-winning movies. He's still out here making stuff with gay porn actors. He mm-hmm. made a zombie movie like 10 years ago that has <laughs> like it's like a gay porn zombie movie where there's like just incredibly crass, violent sex happening. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I love um that tradition. And I think it's important, you know? I think it's I think it is important to resisting the assimilation. That's something Gosh, when we talk about Judaism and assimilation is the whole thing as well. And I feel like there is a sameness
1: there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I think for me, I mean, I started transitioning in 2013, which is really not that long ago in the grand scope of things. But I think the filthiness of that experience was really influenced by the fact that I lived in Texas. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, culture there is about 10 years behind everywhere else. So my environment rejected me in a very strong way. But I was lucky, my very best friend who started transitioning, we started transitioning almost at the same time, she has a photography degree, and she She had always been sort of influencing and subjecting me to filthy art even before we started transitioning. So Mm -hmm. I I was really primed to have an experience of filth. I think something that connects Talmud and filth for me is like part of the ethos of filth is sort of that like nothing is exempt from potentially being included in a filthy artistic work, Mm -hmm. you know, like... Any, any bodily fluid, any substance, any act can all sort of become a part of it. And, and I feel like Talmud has that sort of same energy to it, like no, no part of life is sort of exempt from the gaze of Talmud. I feel like upon diving into Judaism and
2: Jewish culture and history, I have discovered new ways to be um, transgressive. Mm. that are like explicitly jewish ways to be transgressive thinking of a quick example in the book that i'm working on now which is a sequel to my 2014 book, the existence of fire god is a character in it there's interviews throughout and god in my book only speaks in ugaritic <laughs> which is just an incredibly Ooh. profane thing to do if you have <laughs> paid attention because Ugaritic is the language of the the pagans who were surrounding the Israelites, um, right? And it's the language that the Baal Cycle was written in.
0: I think one of the questions that's in the background that I think. It's easy for all of us to skip over. Why is transgression and filth important? For me, there's like connections to transgression and filth and activism and the desire for egalitarianism and the desire for positive change. But uh, I'm wondering what you guys think. Why is this stuff important? Hmm.
1: I feel like for me personally, at least one element of it, a part of it is sort of just like speaking to my own life experience. You know, like for the first sort of two years I was transitioning, you know, I lost my job. I lost all my friends. I was like living in this squalid punk house full of fleas like, doing full-service sex money to pay the rent. I just, like, felt filth was, like, a very real experience. I know transgression was unavoidable. It's not like I did any intentional transgression in that time. I just sort of, like, my life was, by its very nature, a transgression. And so to sort of, like, leave that part of me behind feels like... um like unacceptable. I feel like that really shaped who I am today, and I'm not willing to leave it behind. And also, I think there's a sort of like this vibe of filthy camp <laughs> that is like a particular spectrum of queer communication style that I think has sort of an inherent value and deserves to be preserved as sort of an idiom. Mm. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like it's like a conservatory effort to parts of myself and to parts of the queer community that have their whole own history behind them. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: I would just like to
2: echo that and say very similarly also lived in, you know, I lived in a lot of like really marginal situations at filthy punk houses, et cetera, out in Portland and um, did full service sex work. Was still doing that whenever I first started making Sea Witch and was very much actually in that through pretty much the entire process of writing Sea Witch. And so, yeah, I was just reflecting the world I was in. My girlfriend was a drug dealer and I was a sex worker. That was just like the reality. So, yeah.
0: So my high-minded ideas of like filth being associated with observing the moral corruptness of the society around me, that's that's not something...
1: Well, I mean, I feel like that kind of explanation in a very Talmudic way is always sort of post-facto. I'm not saying filth is not... About that, I'm just saying I'm doing my own filth for my own reasons, and whatever interpretations people make after the fact, you know, can also be included and sort of layered upon it.
2: There's a line in Seawitch that's used a few times that says it's always both.
1: We've talked about a lot of different connections between these two things, but I want to ask just really directly, never, do you feel like there's a connection between? your art and Talmud or like between the impulses of your art and the impulses that draw you to Talmud. And, and if so, what what is that connection? like what's sort of the shape and texture of it.
2: Yes is the answer. It is interesting because as I think people will find out as as kind of some of my more recent writing slowly filters into actual publication. I find myself having this impulse to join the two and to put the two together because I I think there's a way that Talmud the manner of thinking and storytelling that happens in Talmud for me is really deeply creatively inspiring because so many times it goes counter to the way that we think and the sort of form of logic that you would expect. It counters your expectations as you're reading it. And especially my expectations as someone coming from outside the Jewish world. As I read so many times, there will be this just absolutely bonkers story That gets told. And then the questions that the rabbis ask about the story are just not at all the questions that I would ask about the story. And that kind of like sort of unconventional moves, just as a writer, I just see that and I go, my brain gets going, all my creative processes get going. And I wanna do that. Like, I wanna write something that moves like that. And that's maybe not as connected to the filth part of my writing, but maybe it is. I think that I find myself wanting to take those things that I get from Talmud and that sort of like the bones and the like the sort of structure and like the way it moves as you read it and to work that into a queer, a something that is recognizably queer to the modern reader. Because I think that as you and Michael have clearly shown that the Talmud is queer and filthy <laughs> already, but that you know it has been sanitized in how it is taught and approached. And so, I think as I read Talmud and listen to the things y'all say, I find myself wanting to take things that we associate with Torah and Talmud and to interrupt them and place them in contexts that are outside of what we normally would um, normally would see them in there was a piece actually that i had i showed de chava and asked for notes on that i wrote for um, a friend had a book of collages that's being published. Dean Smith has a book of collages that's coming out from Dog Park Collective, which is a small press based in the Bay Area. Dean asked me to write a piece reacting to the collages. And I wrote a piece that took the form of something that could have shown up in the Talmud. And I asked Chava to uh, look over it for Talmudic realism. Um, and it was re- <laughs> it was really fun uh, <laughs> piece to do. I'd love to do more things like that.
1: Yeah, I, I think part of what inspired me to want to do this series is because I feel like a lot of queers I know from the queer Talmud world are artists and vice versa. And I think there is sort of this cross-pollination that I see happening in that work. And I just sort of like wanted to have a forum to sort of explicitly discuss that. I think it's really cool to see. And, and I think it is sort of blurring the, the borders of art in Talmud in a way that's really interesting. The queer art and the queer Talmud, I think, are going to continue to inform each other a long way into the future. And I think in, you know, in, t- in 10 years, whatever kind of queer Judaism and queer Talmud we have at that time will have been sort of irrevocably formed by the art queers made while under the influence of Talmud. Have you read the book uh, Fragments of the Brooklyn Talmud by Andrew Raymer? I have not read that book. It has frequently been recommended to me and I think I will read it. It's just one of those books that's sort of the victim of my never-ending to-read list. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was one that I found through Judaism Unbound and read and I think I got really excited about and at the same time was like this could be filthier. Um yeah, I think I'm I'm really interested in people who are doing Things like that. Doing just really directly in your face Jewish and Talmudic projects that also maintain their queerness.
1: Yeah, I I actually have like two chapters written of a speculative fiction Talmud novel that I really should... Work you have on, to but... send that to me. You have <laughs> to send that to me. Maybe I will send it to you. It's very unformed right now, and I haven't worked on it since September, but recently I've been sort of like, oh, maybe I should work on this. It's honestly not the creation, but sort of like the discipline part of writing that is escaping me mm. with regards to that project. But but yeah, I want I want to write this sort of speculative novel about a future where the sort of cognitive space of the Talmud has like become a real sort of shared interdimensional reality in which sort of like all the thoughts and ideas of all Jews anywhere in the universe are sort of like collected and fed by attention and it allows for like instantaneous communication like faster than light communication. Yeah, I really want to work on it and I really want to complete it because I feel like it could be really cool, but but it's that discipline element that really gets away from me.
2: <laughs> discipline is hard, especially I think there's a lot of aspects to writing that I don't know. I could go on a whole thing about genre and structure and writing and and the ways that I have trouble with it. Most of my writing tends to take a a very irreverent approach to conventional structure. And that's not me being super out of the box and creative. Although people love to see it that way. And I love to encourage them (laughs) to see it that way, because it makes me feel like good. But a lot of it is because I... Have ADHD and have a lot of problems getting myself to create things within conventional plot and structure. And so I create things in the ways that I can.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so hard, like with a novel, I don't know, it's like such a particular format. I've written and published some poems and a short story. And it's just like really naturally my way in writing to be very brief. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it feels like really uncomfortable (laughs) to try and create something that's in that long form. Yeah. I I wrote a
2: novel that I'm trying to get published right now. That's actually super Jewish. I can't wait for everybody to read it. But um, it's, gosh, it's, I was like, I'm going to write a regular novel. I'm, (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to write a regular novel just to like, see if I can. And it is so fucking weird. (laughs) It's so far from a regular novel, but it's, you know, it's like the closest I could get. Um, -hmm. I mean, it was also extremely hard for me to like actually stick to that. Mm -hmm. There were times when I would not be able to write anything on it for months at a time, but I kept coming back to it. And eventually I wrote it. It's probably more of a novella than a novel, but it's full of stories that seem to, you know, someone, a character in the story will start telling a story. And then all of a sudden that goes on for a few chapters and then never comes back. And then somebody in that story will start telling a story and then that one goes on and never comes back. And then like inside the third story, all of a sudden it references things from the first level of the story. And it's it's just a lot of like sort of narratives eating each other and stuff
1: like that. But
2: again, like that was <laughs> that was how I felt like I could write it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's maybe a little bit ham fisted to bring it all back around this way to Talmud, but I think that's that's very much true of the Talmud too. You know, I think we concoct a lot of really clever ideas about why it has all of the structural innovations it has. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think probably it just is the way it is because that's the only way it could be.
2: Yeah, it's the way it is because that's how it ended up getting written down. And that's <laughs> that's very much
1: how I feel about my writing as well.
2: It's like, it's the way it is because that's how it ended up getting written down. It exists as a text now and you can go ahead and like... Get all the meaning you can out of the structure being the way it is. And I think all that meaning is like valid and amazing, but also it is it is that way because of necessity and because that was just always gonna be the way it ended up.
1: Perfect. Well, I think that's a great note to bring us to a close on. Never, do you have anything that you wanna plug to our listeners before we do our little closing?
2: Yeah, I am reading a book right now that I just started and I already know it's gonna be incredible. It's called Pet by uh, Akwaki Emezi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it is set in a future where basically capitalism and all the big problems have been solved and all the monsters are in rehabilitation communities or what have you. And yet one of them manages to get through because it's, it's this little girl and her parents and her mother makes a painting that's a portal for this creature to get through. There's a parallels between... Angels and monsters, and angels being good and monsters being bad, and is this an angel or a monster? And like pictures of angels and what they really look like, and they look a lot like what we would think of as monsters. And you know, there's a lot of that stuff getting thrown around. The author is not Jewish, but I think for the Jewishly minded, there's a lot to get out of in the book. And then the other book does have a Jewish author, and it's An Unkindness of Ghosts by Rivers Solomon, which is an incredible, incredible sci fi novel. These are both like trans books trans authors as well yeah those are gonna be my two plugs
1: wow okay listeners go check out never's Book recommendations? I almost just called you. We have a cat in the house named Nermal and I almost just called oh. you Nermal because that's the cat <laughs> name. Go check out Never Nermal Angeline North's book recommendations. Give us a call on the Talmud hotline at 4014841619. Join our Patreon. Follow us on Twitter. Do all of the cool stuff. Tell all your friends about the show. I hope you've enjoyed this Talmud and Art series and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Never. Never, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much
2: for having me. This was lovely.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us. Should we close them out? Should we say bye?
1: Yeah, tov, everyone.
0: Shavuotov. tov.
1: Shavua tov.